Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host as always, Steve Hall, and today I'm very happy to be joined by Dr. Ben House. So uh, if you haven't heard of Ben, Ben has a PhD, uh, of course, seeing as he is a doctor and has worked as a strength and conditioning coach and nutritionist since 2006. He is currently lifting, teaching, and researching, uh, and that's why I really wanted to get him on the show because he has been looking into many of the things that we're very interested about on this podcast in terms of getting jacked, and that is actually a, a big kind of topic that we're going to be discussing today. Uh, first of all, Ben, I've done a real big disservice, I feel. I haven't gone into kind of who you are as a person or very much, so I don't know if there's anything you kind of want to get, uh, let the listeners know kind of what got you into all of this and where you've come from. Yes. So I, I mean, I fell in love with the barbell when I was 13. So that's, that's generally don't put that in your, in your CV. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm a failed athlete and I put all that ego, all that failed athleteness into lifting and training and also academics. And so got into med school without an undergraduate degree. My godfather's a dentist and he's like, Hey man, I don't know if you really want to be a doctor. I don't know if you want to like, not, I don't know if you want to be a real doctor. You want to be a fake doctor. <laughs> uh, so I elected not to go to med school and then uh, got a PhD in nutritional sciences instead from UT Austin. Uh, and, and then at UT Austin, kind of really pertinent to what we're going to be talking about today, had the ability to run MRIs, had the ability to run bod pods, DEXAs, skin calipers. So any kind of body composition data analysis, I've had it done on me and I've done it. Um, I've been, I mean, since the age of 23, I've been carrying around an ultrasound with me. Uh, and so there's not many people that have, that have been doing that. No. And so, and I know, so oh, I know the the positives of those and also the detriments of those, maybe not to the extent that maybe someone like Abby Smith Ryan or, or Eric Trexler does who kind of run those, look at the statistical analysis of those four compartment body compositions data. But I think, I think a lot, it's easy to sell people on the internet on this stuff with the positives, but we don't necessarily take into account the negatives and how hard I think Han et al did a really good job of talking about how hard it is to actually measure hypertrophy. Yeah. And, and, and so we're really, we're flying kind of blind once it comes to the levels of muscle that mass that, that you've, that you've attained that, that maybe some people would say that I've attained, uh, we're, you're leaner than me and <laughs> we're about the same weight. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you the nod. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's you're. I know when I first got into all of this, like those seem like really sexy tools to like go on to, and like in your local pharmacy, there would be like you could stand on this scale and it'll tell you your body fat. And the the thing is, people do them, and I did them, and you don't really know what you're doing it for. You're just kind of like stepping on it, and you hope it's saying something better than last time. You you don't really understand kind of how difficult it really is to measure some of these things and people have their scales at home and they measure them uh, but like you've said and i know um like the big articles i saw and it was by james krieger where he went over all of the different various kind of methods that you can use mm -hmm. and how kind of big error rates there are, there are even in things like a dexa scan which is seen as kind of more so the holy grail and then it's a case of whoa so we don't even have great ways of measuring this yet we have like we we have co like I'm a coach and I'm coaching people to try and grow this stuff and like measuring it is so difficult. So how can we even know what we've done is doing what we need to do? Um, and I guess this is I mean we're probably jumping ahead of kind of where we wanted to go with the, the podcast. So we're, we're definitely touch on measurement down the line, and it, I mean it, it impacts everything that we're going to be talking about already. But um, something that the kind of main topic of the podcast was going to be nutrition for muscle growth, essentially. And uh, a big part of that in terms of kind of the surplus, um, I guess, 
we could start off and I wanted to start off with and kind of to reiterate to the listeners how little research we really have on it and you have done a great job of reviewing both of these over on your podcast and on your well on your channel um, over on YouTube so I definitely make sure to link that so people can get an in-depth view of it but there was the Ribeiro kind of 2019 I know you kind of referred to it as like the dirty bulk um, which I've certainly <laughs> we done talk, we have to talk about that study. That, study is, that study is absolutely amazing go, um, go for not, that one <laughs> not for the not for the metrics well so if you, if you read kind of the gray literature on mass gaming you'll see a couple citations that pop up that when people say that you need an excess of calories or, or there may be against an excess of calories for gaining fat-free mass. And they'll, they'll generally pull up the Garth paper, which is out of Norway, and it's in elite athletes. But you got to remember, like when they say elite athletes, they're talking about like kayakers, taekwondo, karate. These, they're, they're, at the elite, they're elite at their sport, but in terms of body composition, they're not elite at all. Their FMIs are about... So their fat-free mass index is about 19. So these guys are novices at best. Um, and so that Garth paper, they did nutritional counseling versus ad libitum eat. So it was one group was told was told to eat more. It was the ad like just eat more food. That, the, that's the extent to their nutritional counseling. And then the other group was actually held adherent to kind of trying to gain. And so they, they ate about 500 calories more than the ad libitum group. So the biggest takeaway from that GAR study was like, if you have elite athletes and they're training 18 hours a week, you can't just tell them to eat more. It doesn't work. They don't, it, 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 you got to have more of a cognitive oversight or you got to have more, a bigger tool if you want to actually have them uh, gain some weight, if that is your arm. But these guys didn't need to be bulking. The, the main, the main yeah. story from that is like, they didn't need to be in, in an excess of calories. They gained, if we look at the research of how much muscle you can potentially gain in like an eight to 12 week period in novices, it's probably about 1.5-ish kilos, depending on the study. And that's right where they were. Uh, the, the guy, so the, the group that actually ate at an excess of calories, they gained 1.7 kilos. And then the group that ate, at it, still at, they still gained muscle because they're training because they're novices, they gained about 1.2 kilograms of muscle mass. So my, my theory here is, in terms of that Garth paper is that they've already, they're so, they're so new, they've kind of maxed out the amount of muscle that they can put on the frame anyways. And then you don't necessarily need to have an excess of calories to, to do that. And then the Riviera study was like, that was, that was Jedi stuff. That was like, the, you see this thing and you're like, dude, this is the last hope. Yeah. This is it, man. You're like, this is, this is a study. And you, then you get into it and it's like, 11 subjects, <sighs> calipers, it's real, it's real terrible, real fast. And then they use an equation that was body weight, age, race, and sex. So it didn't even, if you gained weight with the equation, you gained muscle. Um, but they had a high amount of calories versus a moderate amount of calories excess. And these guys were big. These guys were yeah. on caliper, like they're bigger than you and I. We're, we're talking, we're talking 90 kilos. 13 to 16% body fat. So maybe a little bit chubby, uh, probably more than a little bit chubby because 13 to 16% on calipers is really right. probably, probably 18. So those FFMIs might've even been inflated a little bit more than, than we think. But um, nonetheless, these dudes did eat almost 1200 grams of carbohydrates per day. Have you ever eaten that many carbohydrates? No. Uh, 
the closest I've got is in a peak week, and I got close to a thousand, but never got. I've not had over a thousand. That's nuts. Well, I want to like. I've I've had a couple of people who've who've been who've hit that like for a week, but I can't imagine hitting that number for four no. straight weeks. I, just like the amount of garbage that you would have to eat to get that done, and then and then you're like, okay, wow, that's that's heroic. To almost like eleven <laughs> eleven seventy grams of, and then but they had to be eating some trash too because. It was 1170 grams of protein and then there are grams of carbs and then their car and their protein was only at 165 and their fat was only at 80. So these guys had to be eating like rice crispy treats and, and like things like that, that are just pure carbohydrates Because in my head, yeah. logistically, that's the only way they could have got it done. Um, and then justice heroic is the moderate energy group, which is eating 4,500 calories, and 720 grams of carbohydrates. And so you have, you have, all right, this is, this is the, this is the study we've been dreaming about. We have, we have the excess of calories all in, in whatever they were eating, all in carbohydrates. Fat's pretty much the same at about 80 grams. And then protein for all, for all our purposes here is it's over 1.8 grams, grams per kilo. So if they had a DEXA, if they had a better method of measuring body composition and the study wasn't four weeks, I would have been so hyped up about it. But it was four weeks long. And these dudes, Greg Knuckles back calculated because you couldn't really take their, their, you couldn't really use their numbers because yeah. of their skeletal muscle mass. You had to use it. You, he back calculated off the caliper data. And that's where I got really, really squeamish really, really fast is because he found that that high group gained 2.4 kilos or over five pounds of muscle in four weeks. And I'm just, I'm, I've, I've known like my, my best friend is, is a professional bodybuilder. And he got on the stage at 19, won his pro card, and he's 28 now. He's my height, 230 pounds. And he's, 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 he's gotten after for my 27, lifetime drug free. And that dude has, he was strong as shit then. I mean, strong as shit. He's like, he can, he can deadlift 700 pounds. And he's put on six to eight, maybe six to 10 pounds of muscle, depending on how you would measure it, in eight years. And that's, that's where I'm like, all right. I'm willing to throw this study out. Um, and that might not like, I don't, I know we don't want to throw literature out, mm. but at this point, like it doesn't make any sense if we had better metrics. I love the, I love the methodology. I, I love it. I wish it was longer and I wish we had a better body comp data, but we also have one of the big things is if you look at the standard error measurement on, on even a DEXA. It's, it's 0.86. Yeah. If you look at that Abby Smith Ryan paper it, on a floor compartment, that's with DEXA and BIA. That means that for you to be confident in an individual metric being changed, you probably have to gain 1.5 kilos or two kilos. So you're talking four pounds of muscle for you to even have confidence in, in that change in a DEXA. Um, so you're, I mean, you, you live this life more so than me. You got, you got, I just scrolled through your pictures, like back in the day, no back, giant back. <laughs> uh what what kind of what kind of weight changes have you seen yeah it's uh, it's really interesting because when i um when i like i've gone through this and seen kind of after this many years you're kind of advanced and therefore you can only look to gain like a pound a year if 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 you're doing well like your uh, kind of pro friend has done uh it hasn't quite followed that line for me uh, i've kind mm. of had spurts of periods of time where it's kind of i've grown quite well like as a novice and then it's kind of slowed up and then it's spurted again and i think it's related to the fact of just 
being more specific and doing things better, uh, like having a surplus versus having like a moderate kind of maintenance level of calories. Um, so yeah, mine, I started at maybe around 140 pounds, uh, pretty, I've always been slim and now I'm like 186 pounds. So gained just over 40 pounds, maybe of muscle somewhere around that, which I think is, is pretty decent according to some of the things that are out there. But yeah, it's, it's definitely not been a case of uh, like I, it just has been very like the trend of it was all came on suddenly and then just trickled off. It's kind of been like it spurted on, kind of not much happened. Then some more came on as I kind of got a bit smarter and did things a little bit better. So yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. Kind of as the adaptive resistance builds up, you're just going to slow down your muscle gains. But I think in practice, for a lot of people, it doesn't seem to quite go that way. <laughs> I think Ryan would, having talked with him about his results. He would agree with you. Is is it definitely like it ebbs and flows? And he you got he got to this he got to that point pretty early. I would say like his so pro got, at nineteen. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, like he started dieting when he was eleven, and which which is crazy. Like not don't do that. He would tell him, don't do that. Uh, and, and so like he's he's been able to. And I think honestly, like if we're getting into the theory of that, I think probably accruing a bunch of muscle in those adolescent years is is going to be beneficial. Like when you, and this is complete conjecture, but I mean, you, you think about just having a lot of testosterone on around, um, and then potentially building up that myonuclei during that period of time. It's something that I've, that I've thought about. I don't necessarily have a, a way to test it, but it makes mechanistically, it kind of makes sense is if you, you burn down this 14 to 19, you might have, you might have increased your ability to, to your biogenic potential by increasing your number of myonuclei so that they myonuclear domain big where it's pumped off. Um, and so that's 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 conjecture on my part, but it, it makes a lot of sense in that I see some people that have and this isn't everyone, but I do see some people that have come to the game later and they yeah. they they and again we're in the land of placebo but or we're in the land of anecdote, but it does seem like they have a different ceiling. Um, I don't know. Have you seen that? Yeah I think well I guess the whenever I think about who are the best bodybuilders, the phrase that comes to mind is like the ones who have been doing it the longest, which mm -hmm. necessitates probably starting young because once you get to a certain age, no matter if like you haven't been lifting or you have, you're just not able to recover the same and kind of the hormone profile is not as good, especially when you get like into, I think it's like after 40 years old and things. So that definitely aligns with those thoughts. So I think that makes, it could, I mean, again, anecdote, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the and that's I struggle with that too because we have a we have a couple of papers that show like the recovery times aren't different between okay. twenty and fifty year olds, and I'm not saying that to be a dick. I'm, I'm like I'm I'm saying that because that doesn't I think if that might be the case if you take novices, right? But it might not be the case if you take people who are advanced. Like and we, if you talk to enough people who've been doing, and, and it could just be joint stress, it could be you know wear and tear from from the iron game for forty years. Yeah. Uh, and, and you do see that too, is if you, like you ask someone who's, who's like gotten strong at the age of 60 and they, they love strength training. You're like, how long have you been strength training? They're like, oh, I started two years ago when they're 60 years old. You're like, oh, well, that makes sense. Cause you don't find like people like us at the age of 60 who aren't, who aren't like complaining about stuff. Yeah. That um, makes a lot of sense. <laughs> but so the, the ultimate question is, is that I think in practice, because we have all this research and research is supposed to help us make decisions. And in this case, we don't have 
we have zero studies with external validity in in these if you are pushing kind of your genetic potential. And so from a practical side, it's it's really asking the question, do I want to try to recop, gain tame, or am I gonna bulk? Um, and that's where I'm looking at this as as more nuanced than anything else and more individual. So if I get if I get someone like because I've seen this, I've seen some crazy stuff in that like you get football players who've never done any bodybuilding training. And so they already have enough of mine that's really high, like 25. Yeah. And you're like, you're like, dude, there's no way this dude is a newbie as far as physique sports. And you, you put them on body and they dig, they're a newbie. You get so mad. You're like, what the hell? And, and they, yes, because they got into American football because they just had, they were such a, you know, it's the biggest funnel we have. Yeah. And, and they just, they get, so I wouldn't automatically just, I wouldn't put people, I wouldn't pigeonhole people just because of their efforts of mine. I would, if you haven't ever done like a hamstring curl or a leg extension or any of these more bodybuilding single joint exercises, and you, maybe you were a CrossFit athlete, I think you could be more of a novice or more of an intermediate when you transition to a physique sport. Um, but on the flip side, if you've been bodybuilding for, you know, legit bodybuilding for 10 years, then gain-tating and bulking are probably more going to behoove you to spend your yeah. time there. Do you think for the the novice, I guess the Garth study kind of confirmed this in a way, a novice, they don't need to be in a surplus. Like, do you think the surplus could give them, like if they were like, I just want to gain all the muscle and I don't care about the fat gain. Do you think that could give them an edge or do you think it's just unnecessary and it's just their they're grow at their rate limiting kind of muscle gains anyway? So we have, we have a couple papers on that. The, we have the new... Benito, I don't, I don't, it came out in February. I I just found it. This meta-analysis, it's kind of in the obscure journal. It it's a it's a meta-analysis of of fat-free muscle mass, and they they do it. They kind of break the. They have quintiles, and they not even quintiles. They have five categories, and they break them down by the the amount of training years, which I hate because just because you say you've been training five years yeah. does not does not mean you're advanced. You could be bench pressing the same amount that you did at Planet Fitness yesterday. Um, and that you did five years ago. So that, that's a big red flag, but it's probably the criteria that they were, they had to use because of those other, because of those other studies. Um, and so what they've found is it looks to be about like 1.6, like we talked about 1.6 kilos, uh, over, over what, uh, would maybe let's say eight to 16 weeks of, uh, of a good resistance training protocol. But we do have this crazy study out of, uh, UC, UC California, uh, Long Beach, which is that Rosnia? Have you seen that Rosnack study? I don't, I don't know how to say his name. I don't recognize the name. It might ring a bell when you go through it. It's from 2002. It's it's the it's it's so they had a control group and then they had this is obviously like when mass gainers was were a big thing because this is a mass gainer study and so they had they had the group that was just not getting a mass gainer and then they had a group that was getting a, both of these 2000 calorie 2010 and 2000 2020 calorie mass gainer shakes. Uh, so just like create three cups of milk, three cups of skim milk, and a lot of a lot of scoops of masking. I know I did that, so I I, I got a little I got a little nostalgic reading this paper. Uh, and so they had the not that huge. I can pull it up. Not that big of a difference between the two uh, the two shapes. Like one one shape was 100 grams of protein and 350 grams of carbs, and then the other grape, the other one was 450 grams of carbohydrates and then only 24 grams of protein. Uh, 
And so they didn't find any significant differences between those two groups in terms of muscle mass gain. But in, in eight weeks, those guys gained three kilos and they didn't put on any fat. Oh, wow. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, and that, that's pretty cool. So maybe you could argue, you can kind of make the argument and this would be, for me, this would be an individual base on an individual basis. Are you getting fluffy or not? Uh, and if you're not getting fluffy, like, so say I would use this if someone's like starting in the 10 to 15% range, they're kind of like yourself, they're, they're 150 pounds and they're already pretty lean. Then I'm going to be a lot more apt to use an excess of calories. Whereas if you are in the obese or overweight category and you're, you know, say you're a guy and you're over that mafetone, uh, which is about 18% body fat, then I'm going to be like, all right, we probably don't need just because of inflammatory mechanisms and nutrient partitioning and just insulin resistance because you have too much, just too much, you've been eating too much for too long. Uh, then I'm going to be more apt to not use that type of that type of approach. But I think that it, it could potentially have merit. Um, and then you get into the argument of hard gaining, which is, I think there's, there's some really cool practical things that, that you, from that researchers may not be able to think about because they don't work with people. Mm -hmm. um, and so from a practical standpoint, the, the thing getting back to the avatar that, that we wanted, that we started with this advanced person, yeah. the, the thing that I find really tough is actually being in an excess of calories. And, and so the actually getting there seems to be the hard part. And then once you get there, you probably got to do it on repeat. And so it, it just becomes a logistical issue if you're got to eat 500 grams of carbohydrates and 150 grams of carb and fat, and then 200 grams. Of, you're not really worried about your protein at that point. You're just trying to eat enough calories. It really does become a logistical problem. And in that, and this is kind of where the argument lives in the evidence-based fitness community. And it's really, it's so minutia. I mean, and so it's, should you gain one to two pounds in a month or should you gain three to four pounds? in a month. And that's where, where, do you, where do you sit on the argument? Hey, Pascal here. I just wanted to take the moment to talk about our membership site. Inside, you'll find a thriving forum, an extensive exercise library, courses, presentations, and research reviews. All I need you to do is hit the link in the description below and sign up. See you there. So it's really interesting you talked about kind of getting people into a surplus because it's something I think when I mentioned I struggled to gain, like I gained more muscle years after a period of time where you'd expect it to slow down. It was basically, I shifted my mindset from trying to stay in a certain like percentage above stage weight and a certain kind of surplus and gaining very slowly where I could gain one month, lose one month and just trying to manage it on a too much of a micro scale. I just kind of was like, I'm going to go into a more assertive surplus, make sure I'm gaining. Um, so going more so towards that kind of three to 4%, like 2% of body weight per month. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was where I think I made like much better progress because I just was like, I know I'm in a surplus. I can focus on my training. I don't have to kind of micromanage my nutrition as much. And I found the same with a lot of clients where, they just become a little bit kind of fat phobic and a bit worried about gaining all this kind of excess weight. And their their mindset is, and a, a kind of phrase I often talk about is like, people are too concerned about gaining minimum kind of fat during their masses rather than gaining maximum muscle. Like I want to focus on the maximum muscle rather than the minimum fat because 
fat is generally easier to get rid of for a lot of people. So that's where I tend to sit at the moment, at least. I'm in the, I'm in the, I'm in the same boat. Cause I think like once you're talking about, you get a, you get 185 to 220 pound individual. Like what's, what's one to two pounds in the skip? Like really like you, you have, you think like the fine scale value variability of that, of that, of that shitty scale you have in your bathroom is going to be able to pick that up. And I just, I don't, I don't think the sensitivity is good enough to do that. That's where I, I just worry about people wasting time. Yeah. Um, and I, I see people a lot wasting time on, on like, all right, I'm going to, I got to put all my excessive calories on my workout days. Cause otherwise it's going to turn to fat. And I'm like, dude, just eat, just eat, man. Like, and so like, I, I've, I kind of got down. I, I probably got, I don't know, abs, I need to see quads, definitely not glute striations. Um, Eric, Eric wanted to see my glutes. I told him no, I said, back <laughs> off, back off. It's the first time I know you. Um, and so I think like I got to like low 170s, like 175 ish. I got on 175 for the first time in a, in a long time. And that was about six months ago. And I just started like not, I just started eating to fullness. And for me, if I ate to fullness, it seemed to be like on a super individual basis. If I ate to fullness on three meals, I get really fat, really fast. But if I ate to fullness on two meals, so if I just had a couple, if I just woke up, had a snack, I kind of figured this out by just trial and error, had a, had, cause that's when I'm most productive anyways, just have a protein shake, get a snack before I train and then eat those bigger meals after a train to, to fullness. Like I'm not eating clean. Um, then I've been able to slowly gain weight. So I've, I've crept from like 175 in six months now in the low 180s. And so on paper, that's, that's pretty solid. Um, and, but now, can I can I be absolutely sure that I put on muscle mass? I don't know. Um, and that's where that's where we get into the measuring of this thing is really hard. Like people will say ten rep max on a bench yeah. press, but I'm like, dude, my ten rep max on a bench press hasn't moved for the last. It's good. Like I, I can my ten rep max is two hundred fifty pounds. Like you think that's going to go up a lot anymore? Like I don't think that's going to go up. Uh, and it's and it's a multi joint exercise. So one of my one of my buddies is like, maybe we should just use like. A bicep curl, um, maybe 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 like reps across a bicep curl, like a like a preacher curl. Maybe that's a or a leg press or something super stupid. Um, and I don't I don't mean that like functional, but also less functional. Maybe. Um, but that's that's kind of where if we're gonna if we're gonna think about measuring this, how can I how can I how can you know? I don't think you can know, mm-hmm. but but you can be a little bit more sure. Because I think you're really unsure if you go from 175 to 177 pounds in two months. I just don't know. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, especially kind of measuring it and performance being a marker. Because I know for a time there was people were trying to use like even like one RMs, three RMs. It's kind of well, they're so skill based. And then you're completely right with compound lifts, and they're still even like I look back at my technique like even two years ago, and I'm like. I've just changed that to be like superior for hypertrophy, at least, at least I hope so. And it's different. So I can't really compare it. Whereas I think like you mentioned, the isolation movements, there's only so much you can change technique on that uh, to make it that way. So if you, I think at the moment, uh, if there is something to look at, that probably is the way to go. Like performance across sets for like 10 plus plus reps on an isolation movement potentially is 
kind of at the moment the most kind of scientific way we actually have to measure things at least it's kind of practical for a lot of people as well it's what they care about at least in my in my opinion at least it's it's process oriented where you can you can kind of get like having an ultrasound like i could i know like i could my my muscles it's gonna have variability for 72 hours after a workout like if i if i get so it's just when's the last time you took 72 hours off training I, I can't remember. And so like, you'd have, you'd have to, you'd have to probably lock me out of gym, lock me out of, couldn't lock everything heavy away for me. And maybe that's well, maybe, maybe I should look at that, but I, it hasn't been, it's, it's part, it's my anchoring habit as an individual training. And so that's kind of where we get into the problems of measuring stuff. And that's where for me, measuring sub Q fat on an adipose, like, and we can kind of talk about the, just the, even the theory about this because I, yeah. I respect uh, where you're coming from as well. It's like, so in my head, this sounds like a good idea. Right? So I got, if I can check sub Q ultrasound is, is, is really consistent. It does like pressure the probe that you can just stick it on there. It doesn't move a lot. You can get sub Q measurements of, of fat. Uh, and then, and so you could, if that sub Q fat measurement isn't moving and you're gaining weight in theory, you would be gaining muscle mass or gaining water, something that you're not gaining, wouldn't be gaining subcutaneous adipose tissue in theory. But then in my head, I'm like, if I gain two pounds of fat across my entire body, am I going to be able to pick that up on a millimeter basis on my ab? And like, is it going to actually show up? And that's where I don't, I don't have an answer. Um, it seems like it could theoretically work, but I may be worrying about minutia again. Maybe it's a stupid checkpoint, um, but for me, it seems like I'm willing to, I have it. It's not hard. It's easy. It's cost effective. And, but do I think that everybody needs to be doing that? Probably not. Um, I've played with, have you played with that sculpt scanner? I haven't. No, I have seen it. Yeah. So that thing, it, it seems to do all right. If you look at the research comparing it uh, to DEXA, but it's so variable. Uh, I did it for like 30 days straight and it was pretty good on the ab measurement. But once I started throwing in like multiple measurements, it just had compounding error. Um, so I, I can't really give people a way to measure. Unfortunately, I think you could get, if you've gained maybe five to six pounds, maybe you could pick that up in a deficit. Maybe um, if you really wanted to measure it, if that, if that's what, if that's what your your priority was, and and then I think like if you gain weight and you were keeping maybe a caliper measurement the same and you were doing it yourself and you know it was it was pretty consistent, uh, maybe you could you could make a, a case that and and your your more more importantly your reps across a preacher bicep curl or a leg press or leg extension was going up, then I think you're probably gaining muscle. Yeah, I think it's like you said, it's so challenging, especially as someone advanced because if you are gaining muscle, you're for sure gaining probably quite a bit more fat than muscle. So even like visuals are quite challenging in that sense. And then even like you said, once you get, well, I don't know, if you get slightly soft and maybe you allow the body fat to go up a little bit, you can't see what's necessarily going on. And so a lot of the, as a kind of from my perspective, at least for myself and a lot of my clients, I just end up using photos and kind of almost trusting the process in terms of we know we're hitting training kind of correctly we're ticking the boxes making sure weight's going up and appropriate not excessive pace 
making sure we're getting our protein in and getting all the kind of details in as best as we can. And then it's through maybe a mini cut where you cut down and you kind of then reveal a little bit of what potentially you've been building. And maybe it's not until, and for me, it wasn't until kind of I had a three-year off-season, competed in 2017, got up through kind of successful bulks and then mini cuts. And I eventually hit 200 pounds just over. And then I cut down 20 pounds. I was like, wow, this is what I've built under here. <laughs> if only, like I, before that, I kind of looked, thought things were okay but you can't necessarily be sure because yeah you've accrued all that well i accrued maybe like i don't know 30 pounds of fat to gain like five plus pounds of muscle which for me is definitely worth it but that's a challenging thing to sell to someone to go through being that high above like that high percentage body fat and force feeding that much like it's yeah it's not easy <laughs> I, whenever i talk to the, the i have the opportunity to give talks to my wife's a pretty well-known yoga teacher. And so she'll bring me in to talk about nutrition, primarily vegan crowd has very little interest in what I, what I, what I like. And, and so I'll make, I'll start by making fun of myself. I'll be like, Hey, this year I'm going to easily eat 5,000, I eat five pounds of food a day on, a, on the easy day. So you're talking 1500, 2000 pounds of food in a year. It's truckloads of food. I'm going to lift 10 million pounds. And for all that effort in a year, maybe I'll be, I'll be, I would be ecstatic. If I gained half a pound of muscle, I'd be, I'd be so stoked. And so that, like right away, they can see the opportunity cost of that is, is yeah. so hot. Uh, it's so, so stupid. And so I'll just, I'll just, and, and so if you're, if you're there, number one, I appreciate you. If you're listening to this and you're, and you're going about this battle, um, I think, I think it's a beautiful thing, but it is hard. It's a really, really hard sell. Number one, because even in our social media realm, like you, you look phenomenal right now. You're going to, you and I both, we're going to look puffy at 200 pounds. And everybody's going to be like, gonna be like dude, I don't, know, I don't know if that guy's got a piece of nutrition. <laughs> I'm questioning. I'm questioning. That guy, that guy looks pretty fluffy. Um, and, and, and I've been 200 pounds on, on the scale. Granted, I had, to hold some, I had to hold some food, get on the scale, and then eat said food. Uh, but I got there. And, and that's where a part of me is, if you look, th this is a really weird place for me to be. But now that I'm a father and... So if you look at the appetite literature, I'm like, where, and I've never thought about this before I became a dad. I'm like, where do I want to live? And it's never, never something I've thought about before this. I'm like, all right, say I, say I just can't lift weights as much anymore. Luckily, I still can. Um, but say there comes a day when I can only lift twice or three times a week. Where do I want to stay? And I was like, well, I kind of want to be in the low 180s and 10-ish, still have abs. It doesn't matter the percentage of that, but at least have a four-pack. Um, not be squeamish about taking my shirt off. And, and I was like, all right, wow. So if I get up to 200 pounds, that's 10% weight loss. That means if I want to live at 180, I know I'm going to live at 180. And looking at the weight loss literature, my appetite's going to be up. And, you know, I'm not, I might even have some, I might even have a little bit of metabolic adaptation, God forbid. Um, and so that's where I'm like, oh, wow. Where do we want, where do we want to set? Where do we, how high do we want to go? Um, and, and I, that's where everybody has, where it really is a nuanced question that you have to ask yourself. And, and I, I'm obviously reading a lot of like mother daughter dyads. So like the coach individual dyad, uh, everybody's just rolling their eyes right now. But uh, I think that's where you kind of make that decision is how high do you want to get? And then where do you want to live? And if your goal, if your goal is to win the Olympia, like, yeah, I'm probably going to have to get over 300 pounds and cut. But if your goal is to, you know, to be a really a, a 
even to be a good natural physique competitor, you're probably going to have to go and it might, and it might be, you know, you probably lost 30 to 40 pounds to get on stage, right? At least. Like, I can't imagine, like I've, I've talked to fellow, like people like yourself who, who have actually got on stage and I have no desire to do that. Um, and, but I've gotten to the point where I would have had to start dieting. Like I'm waking up three times per night. I'm grumpy. And I'm, that's where like, they're like, yeah, you probably start your diet right here. Like, Dude, don't wait. <laughs> End my diet right here. Um, and so I have, I have a ton of respect for the amount of, of self-control that it takes to do that. But I also think that you guys have the best measurement of all. And that is your stage weight. And so like, if, yeah. you, talk, if you talk to physique competitors, it's like, hey, I weigh six pounds more this year. And it was, it's been four years since I've competed and I'm better conditioned. Therefore, something great happens. Um, so let's go do it again. And that seems to be the theme that I, that I see with, with, with the bodybuilders that I, that I get to work with. Is like, they, they're like, man, that, was, that sucked. But it was also awesome. And it's the only real metric I have to see if I'm progressing. So let's do it again. Yeah, it's a, yeah, like you say, it's such a hard sell to people once you are gaining at such a slow pace. It's kind of like, but in that instance, I think it does at least mean for me, I always frame it this way for like myself and for clients. Like if you're going to be training six days a week and training really hard, do you want to kind of make sure that you're gaining everything you can out of that by being in like making sure you're in a surplus and maybe gaining a bit more fat than you should have, or like you could have gained a bit less or you want to risk not getting everything out of all the hard work you're putting in uh, that's kind of the crux of it for me and i was like ah, like f for most people i think they can get the fat off reasonably well so that it's not such a like hard sell to them then yeah the risk of not making progress over is much higher to me than the the potential for putting on you know 10 pounds of fat which you can get off fairly easily that's like i mean that's not that long of a cut um in the grand scheme of you know a three-year or three or four-year off season or then, then you get into in, in bodybuilding you also get into people probably competing too often like so they're yeah. ne they're never really accruing enough time to put on mass um and so that that's where I, i'm i'm really for you know maybe you compete every three to four years maybe even longer um just because you Especially females, man, because that's going to take such a big toll on your body. Meals, we seem to bounce back a little bit faster from, from getting lean. Um, and unfortunately, I will say that we don't have, on those FMI values, we don't have as good of stop gaps on where you would be advanced and where you would not. Like, I think it's in the high teens, maybe the low 20s. Uh, if you look at that recent Trexler paper, like they were finding female lifetime natural rugby players as big as us which was like, like when you're two to three times outside the standard deviation, I was like, wow, I gotta get a little bigger, <laughs> but no, that, that's, that's cool. To me. I, I don't, yeah. I'm not a, I'm not a natty witch hunter at all. And I, like, I think that it's really, really cool. If you funnel down the entire population, I think you are going to have these individuals who are just that big. Yeah. Um, which is cool. Yeah. I think it's, it's like you said with the American football players, like that's, they could be like the pro naturals if they wanted to be, but I mean, what do you get for being a pro natural? Not very much apart from like some credibility on your end, but there's more money within American football. <laughs> I remember like it was, it was 
I worked in UT strength and conditioning. I was an intern. I'm not anything fancy. I was I was cleaning weights uh, for the basketball team. And I remember like they had this they had this running back who came in as a freshman. And he's my he was like five ten. So he was a little bit shorter. I'm gonna say I'm five eleven, but I'm probably five ten. And and so Hook'em Horns, they were like, he's undersized at two ten. I was like, he's two ten, shredded, shredded. He's he's nineteen years old. They're like, he's he's a little bit undersized. Dude, you know how much that hurts right now? <laughs> like, I've been training. I'm, I'm 20 years old, but I've been training for 15 years. My training my ass off. A lot of it's stupid stuff, but still working hard. And this dude's undersized at 210 pounds. And um, and so that that was like just an eye opener for me. Is like, yeah, there are probably these yeah. individuals, and, and that's where you kind of you kind of just got to be thankful that these people exist. You can, in my in my opinion, you can, you can either be angry. And like, then you can be telling everyone on the internet that they're on steroids, or you can you can give them the benefit of the doubt, and you can just be thankful that the human body can do that. Um, and that's what that's where I say. Um, yeah. And because I think you're going to have a much better life if you're not comparing yourself constantly, constantly to other individuals. No, I think that's a really good point, and I think at least well, there's there's something very rewarding about being the average or that the people like us who have to fight tooth and nail for every little thing, because then we appreciate it a lot more. Whereas I think when you're just, I don't know, I have a feeling when you're at that point, it's kind of like, you just don't understand everyone else. Like, why are you talking about all these details of training? You're like, just go and lift hard. It's like, Oh yeah, you would say that. And then I just, I couldn't even imagine what it would be like to be one of them. Yeah. That is a danger though. And I've seen it in the college. This is not obviously there's exceptions to every rule. And I don't, I don't even think this is a rule, but I do think you get a lot of those dudes who get naturally strong, just like they pick up, they look at weights and they get jacked. Uh, and then obviously they have to know. So this is, I think this is happening less and less, but those, those guys used to be strength and conditioning coaches. And, and cause and that, it seems to be that now we're kind of pendulous, pendulum shifting. And I might be completely off on this, but now maybe we seem to be getting a little bit too nerdy. And, right. and, and so I think that there, there's this, there's this happy medium of like, you got to work, you got to learn how to work. You got to learn, you got to really, if you want to be somewhat big, you got to learn how to eat shit and you got to learn how to like to eat shit. Uh, and, and then you got, you got this other sector, which is why I worry about taking all these measurements, which is like the biohacker side where it's like, Hey, maybe it doesn't matter how much you pistol squat, like, cause you, you can't pistol squat at all. So you're doing 20% of your pistol squat. So let's like, let's pick a different metric. Um, and so they're, they're just, they're just living in obscurity of thousands of numbers. Um, and so that's where I think we want to, we want to have the effort. And then we want to really use research to think about what are the metrics that we're using. And in this case, unfortunately, there's not many metrics that we can be super confident in other than our effort and time. And so that's where, I, that's where I'm going to put that's where I'm going to put my marbles. Yeah. Fast, efficient fat loss. Does that sound like music to your ears? The mini cut movement might just be for you. Mini cuts are like robbing the fat bank. You want to get in and out with as much fat as possible. In a short period of time, you could easily look to lose six to 12 pounds of fat. The mini cut movement is excellent. There's group support for extra accountability and also expert help within the group. We have educational videos to keep you on track along the way and you get all your nutrition and training customized and individualized for you. So if that sounds of interest, get involved with the mini cut movement. Yeah. And you mentioned something uh, in regards, and I, I thought it was actually really great in terms of 
kind of at least for males sticking maybe between that like 10 to 15 percent obviously it's going to be individualized because for some people like you said they just can't live there without kind of feeling trash and they're not going to be able to perform at their best but a lot of guys will be able to probably land within that 10 to 15 percent body fat where they're in a good position with their training and also that ability to gain and kind of stay within there you can kind of see a little bit more at least what's going on so you might get some visuals that can can help even though it is slow um and you mentioned kind of getting above that potentially there's some downsides in terms of insulin sensitivity and i don't know if like partitioning ratios comes into that is that something that you're on the side of staying like leaner is probably better like you might be sacrificing the speed like your ratio of muscle to fat gain may worsen as you get like towards the higher end yeah i think once you get and this is where we're kind of in the gray area again of like personal fat thresholds if you look at insulin sensitivity it is and this is where we have to really question where this research is coming from because this this research is like these mafetone levels of body fat are coming from general public so they're over fat but then they don't have the levels of muscle mass that we have that is potentially really really effective at guarding metabolic health um and so i i think you might be able to go up to 18 to 20 percent you could track um there's some i get worried about like because health is such a nebulous term and and so if you're worried about metabolics, you could track like you could kind of give yourself a, like an in-home OGTT where you eat because most people eat similar things, similar carbohydrate sources. So you could just measure your fat, like give yourself a finger stick poke every 30 minutes for three hours after your normal meal. And you 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 probably don't want that to go over one one forty or one sixty. Um, because once you get over 160, you're going to start, you're going to start spewing glucose out of your kidneys. Um, and, and there's people that even want to keep that a little bit tighter. I'm not in that realm. I'm not, I'm kind of in that anti-fragility carbohydrates. Even, I'm not even against going over 160. It's not going to kill you. Like, um, your body's, your body can deal, the body's an amazing thing and that it can deal with large amounts of glucose. And so I have, I, I was worried about this as, uh, I think like four or five years ago and, and I put continuous glucose monitors and a bunch of meat sticks. And what I found was like, oh, wow, I don't really need to worry about that. Uh, because I was, I gave them 500 grams of carbohydrates. So blood glucose of 85 milligrams per deciliter is about 4.5 grams in the blood. Okay. So for people thinking about this, that means that if I have an individual like James Serby of Rebel Performance, who's he's 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 bigger than me, he's like mid one nineties, probably ten to eleven percent body fat, squats four hundred five for five, like big dude, uh, and and I give him like five hundred grams of carbohydrates, he doesn't move out of that eighty five to one twenty window. That means in the, in the face of five hundred grams of carbohydrates, he's he's in a one to two gram window inside his bloodstream. Like that's 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 pretty amazing. And I think that's I think that's where we want to get to with all our individuals. And I don't necessarily know that that goes away. And we don't have the research to say because most of that research in inflammation and in nutrient participation is not in that individual. It's in individuals who are over fat without that level of muscle mass. So I think that you can, you have more room to work with. But to me, it really comes down what I've seen in coaching actual people is fluff. You, like no one like like once you get over 15 percent as a guy you kind of start to get a little bit of a gut and most of us have an aversion to that so i it's probably more psychological than than anything else i think physiologically we can make the argument against going over there 
from from a metabolic health from an inflammatory mechanism standpoint. But, but I think most people are just going to fight you um, because they're they're going to feel like they're getting too chubby uh, and they're not going to like it. And, yeah. But there might be some. You do we have the anecdotal story, uh, stories? I know Nunez has got up pretty hot, um, like two fifty, and and so I've, I've, I've that's crazy. Yeah, I've heard some, and and I think like. At a certain point, like like for Ryan, who's 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 one of my who's my best friend, one of my best friends, and he's probably that's where he's at. I th- I think like he's gotten to that point where he, you know he is at a twenty seven to twenty eight f of my passing a passing a lie detector lifetime natty. I got all his blood work, so he's, he's lifetime natty, and so he's probably got one thing left, and that's go higher, like just just take the gains way higher. Um, and psychologically, I think he's ready for it. I don't think psychologically he would have done that when he was 19 years old. Yeah. Um, and so that's, and that's, that's his life. That's his passion. Now, do, do I want to do that? No, I don't want to force feed myself um, and be uncomfortable. And I've done that. And it's, it's, it's probably just, I think it's a lot. I think it's even tougher than dieting being completely honest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... On that point, I when I pushed that the heaviest I'd ever pushed to before was 190 pounds. So pushing to 200 took everything, and it I can legitimately say it's worse than the depths of contest prep. Um, getting because it was relentless, like having to force feed when you actually feel like you want to vomit. <laughs> it was just horrendous. Um, I don't know. If, maybe there was something off. I don't, I don't actually know. I went to my doctor a couple of times because I was literally concerned that I didn't, I don't know if it was just leptin was that high <laughs> that I literally couldn't force feed um, at one point, but uh, it's, yeah, it gets incredibly challenging. And I think that's a good point as well. It's like, maybe like we do have to push like nutrition to that challenging point you do have to push maybe up to higher body weights to get to those new levels and a lot of people aren't willing to do that which is fair enough but it's not a case of using uh kind of i don't know uh, using it as a cop-out card it, like you said your friend is willing to push there and even if it's for a small gain it's worth the cost to him so that's really interesting it's interesting here about the kind of potential kind of i guess anabolic resistance kind of theories of getting to higher body fats and maybe it's it's not such a concern i don't know if um this i guess is off the nutrition side but i don't know if you have any thoughts on kind of the training desensitization to like higher training volumes if that's something that you've kind of thought much about in terms of periodizing those and to try and keep the kind of the gains going as such. Yeah, man, I've, I've, we've argued, I think everybody who's gotten to this point is, is argued in that realm. Like where, where do you want to be? Do you want to like, is it, is it the beam counter? Like, is it double progression? Are you just chasing that last rep? Um, man, I don't know. And I wish I had an answer, but I think, I think that, I'm I'm kind of in the realm that you would spend most of your time in that mechanical tension model, um, and then give yourself. I think of it more like psychologically, I guess, than yeah. physiologically, because I just don't think we have the data to back up any of that. It's starting to look like we we might have it um, that that there might be some type of sensitization uh, to resistance training. You want to kind of back off and then go back on, um, but I think you naturally get to that point anyways. And it's kind of where like practice meets theory and that yeah. if you, if you run these double progressions for that, one, but one thing I do see that really makes me mad is people changing exercises because they're addicted to uh, like getting increases. 
And and so the I, th- I think that you want to spend most of your time in in that mechanical tension model and then jump out of it, maybe do some kind of metabolic stress block just to give you, because those are fun, man. Like we are, that's like everything I did when I was 18, 19 years old, even 13 and 14, it was all like running 21s on curls. It was all metabolic. It was getting a pump. Um, and so I, I think like we've, we can lose that and a lot that keeps training fresh. And so I would spend the majority of your time in that mechanical tension. I think that if I'm, you know, I'm a gambler, so that's where I would, that's where I would put the majority of, yeah. of, of my money. And, but I think that if you want to, if you want to really like not get burnt out on that, you probably want to do the things that you enjoy as well. Um, and that's where you can put in some of those other, some of those other tools, some of those metabolic stress blocks, um, and also give your joints a break. The, that's kind of the other thing is when you're running like a squat, is it, is it the best exercise for, for high end hypertrophy or hypertrophy? I don't know. At a certain point, I'm kind of like, man, is, is a bar, do I even need to barbell squat? Does it? And so, and if you would have told me that when I was 25, I would have said, I'd be like, dude, no way. Get out of here. You're going to snatch, you're going to bench press. You're gonna, and so now I've come, I've kind of, I've lightened up on a lot of those things that I used to take quite seriously. But we did, we did an interesting study on this idea of, of changing exercises too fast. And, and what we found, which is really, really crazy to me, is we had guys train four days in a row, four sets to a nine-ish RPE on um, lap pull down, a bunch of cable work, and then hamstring curls, leg extensions. And these guys, were, they, were, they were, number one, they were using, they were doing these exercises previously, but they were, all they did was go to new machines. The only thing that changed is they went, they, because we brought them together, they were at a camp and they, they just went to using new machines. Every day they went up. Every day they went up in reps. So I think like that's a way to trick yourself in, inside of this mechanical tension model, but really you're just getting better at the exercise. So I, this is part of like the opportunity cost. I think you got to stay in the same spot. I think you got to use the same machines eat the same food. I think you got to be in to really get gains. I think you've got to be somewhat of a robot. Um, and so granted, maybe you can do it while traveling. Maybe there's some type of, maybe you can work with that. You go to the same gym or whatever. There's, there's ways around everything. But when I see people who are really successful, they're, they're pretty robotic. They're using the same machines. They're not, they're not overhauling their training all the time. Uh, they're getting good at things and then they're progressing them. Um, and so that's, that's where my head's at with the, with the mechanical tension and the resensitization models. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And actually it, it reminds me of just like massing momentum in a sense where you are just in that kind of flow state where you're just ticking the boxes every day. You're just pr- providing the body the signal of growth day in, day out for like extended periods of time. Well, it has to be long periods of time. And I would agree the people I've seen grow the most are the people who've just stuck to like being a robot executing the things they need to execute day in day out for long periods of time and and it is i i don't say that often but it is said like bodybuilding is boring like there's not that much fancy stuff to it like you said there can be the metabolic stress periods there could be the mini cuts thrown in and they can make things a little bit more exciting now and then but the majority of the time is just lifting kind of the heavy weights eating the food and just doing that each day um so that the body is going to kind of eventually hopefully grow (laughs) And what do you see from what do you see from the general population? They're all looking for shortcuts. They're, they're looking they're looking for the secret key that they can find on yep. the internet that is going to get them five years of robot life. And it, guess what? Maybe you can find it in drugs, but 
what I worry about that is like, you think about connective tissue, like how long does it take connective tissue? Like I've been back squatting since I was 13 years old. Like I got, I, I mean, I don't even know how much of that is muscle that I'm using to use that as muscle anymore. Like, cause you got, you got your, those connective tissues, they take two years. And so you want to pop a bicep tendon or do something crazy and pull a pack. You just start taking some drugs without building up that amount of bone and connective tissue to support that muscle architecture. Um, and so that's where I'm like, even the shortcuts, you can't, you got to pay the me. You got, you got to pay the toll. Um, and that's work over time. And I think in that sense, there's such a, I guess it's, I hope it isn't a disheartening message to listeners because I guess it kind of makes things seem a lot less sexy and there is no kind of like hard and fast rules here. And I guess in a sense, a lot of the things we talked about and you mentioned, are kind of, they're somewhat minutiae and they're smaller details we don't know the answers to right now. And I guess the kind of, for me, the, the take home, if there was from our chat here is like, just consistently do the basics, make sure that you're moving in the right direction over time and don't change stuff too often. Um, and then now and then, like after a long period of time, especially as you're advanced, you can strip back a layer and you kind of see what you've done in that hard work. And then maybe you can change something from there. Yeah, if I had to sum it up, sum it up for kind of the, the two av- like the two avatars that we've that we've talked about, like if your if your training age is not very high, um, you you don't have to be worried about a lot of things. Effort is going to it's gonna it's gonna hold the most weight. So if you effort over time, you can even do stupid stuff. Like that's why, like as a coach, I'm like I'm not after perfection. When someone is a newbie client, I just want them to keep showing up. I just want them because if, even if I'm doing circuit training and like whatever, even if the goals, even if it's not optimal, if I can get them, if I can get them decent gains for long for longer periods of time, that's better than optimum for six weeks and then they're gone. So yeah. the you have so many options with with your general population clients. You got to make training fun. You got to you got to communicate with them. You probably got to you got to communicate them in, with them in a way that's not like we're communicating right now. That you gotta you gotta meet them where you're at, where they're at, is with their vocabulary and, and and with what they their expectations of this gym experience. But on the flip side of that, once you get advanced, then you you really have to bear down and you have to look at this individually. Like what what are you what is it? What's the cost that you're willing to incur? Are you willing to put on fat? Are you willing to stuff yourself until you no longer feel like eating and you feel like you're not alone, man? Like people going to the doctor when they're, they're on gains phase. I've, you know how many times I've heard that? Like, I feel terrible. Uh, I can't eat anymore. Like what's wrong with me? Like, are you, are, that's the cost of this. And then on the flip side of that, you have, you have the beauty of what you just said. I came from, I went from 200 to 180 and I was like, dang, oh, that's what was underneath. Let's, let's do this again. <laughs> um, and, and so that, that's the, that's the two, that's the two places. And I yeah. think as, as a coach, it's really fun because you you know yeah. you can kind of guide you know which one is one which and i think uh, to that point as a coach probably the thing i and i i expect you may be the same ben that normally i'm trying to save my client from themselves where essentially they're getting a bit bored and it's i'm trying to encourage them to just consist and then maybe eventually they're getting so bored adherence might break down and then you have to kind of you make a change and you can periodize and i think that's where that beauty comes in yeah, I think that's oh, like mini cuts to me are just like appetite breaks. It's, it's like, I, I just remember like my jaw, 
like uh, my master, like it wasn't, it wasn't my, it wasn't my, it wasn't like my quads were sore. Or like I wasn't that sore anymore. And I was doing a ton of volume. It was like, I couldn't eat. Like I was just so like, I would have a meal and then I knew I would have to eat another meal. And, and I was, I was eating a ton of, ton of cereal. I, cereal, if like, it's kind of like this weird thing. If you're an advanced athlete, cereal is your friend. <laughs> yeah. the general population cereal is not your friend uh so maybe that maybe that's the transition once you get advanced enough cereal can be your friend but then you don't want it to be your friend. <laughs> fantastic ben thank you so much for this chat it's been really fun uh, i think the listeners are going to have joined it enjoyed it a lot and hope they got a lot of takeaways i want to make sure if people want to find out more about you i know i already mentioned your youtube channel but i know you're over on instagram and where where should people kind of try and find you yeah, maybe my YouTube channel, there's some stuff on there, but uh, definitely just uploading things there to use in other purposes. So, but if you want to go there, that's great. Uh, my Instagram is probably the, the place to go at DR Ben House. And then uh, all of our stuff's at, at broresearch.com. So you can you can find uh, what we're doing from the research side. And then we'll, we'll throw some articles up there every once in a while. Fantastic. I'll make sure that's all linked below so people can go and head there. And yeah, thank you again. And thank the listeners for being here yeah thanks for having me it's been great so i'm steve hall founder of revive stronger and a coach of revive stronger my name is pascal floor i'm the co-owner of revive stronger and also a coach of course Revive Stronger has probably been going solidly for three years, probably roughly about three years. Revive Stronger to me, it is becoming kind of my child, my foster child. It's the gathering and getting together of like-minded people. We've been expanding the coaching team, which is helping us help more people, uh, but each coach can only help a certain number of people. Right now, it's all over the place. We have YouTube, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, but there isn't that community aspect behind that. And so the next step for us is developing a membership site. So basically we want to create a family and a community that is then benefiting from another. A really cool community for people within our little niche is going to be a website. They will get early access to our podcast. You can access us, ask us questions, the community aspect. We have a forum there. You can ask questions, but also you can, you can lock your journey. There's also going to be courses on there, courses, presentations on different topics, discount of past seminar footage. We will log our journey as well. We'll start vlogging. We're gonna have documentaries, our entire athletic journey. Furthermore, they get access to an exercise video library. The exercises that we love for hypertrophy and maximizing hypertrophy, we're gonna go through those in depth, telling you how to execute them. We cap them concise and also mobile friendly so that you can watch them in between your sets. I'm super excited to grow this community. The amount of value that we're going to be delivering is huge. And I'd love you to be part of it. You will get so much out of that. I'll see you inside.